0: And he said in reply, I do not know you. Do you remember those words? Are they familiar? Our Lord, last week in the parable of the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, spoke about five foolish ones who did not bring any oil with them as they waited for the bridegroom. So they went off to get some, and everyone had already gone to the wedding party. The feasts had begun without them. And upon knocking on the door, begging the Lord to let him in, he said to to them, I do not know you. This Sunday, we have the reverse scenario. The servant does not know his master. Let's recall the story we just heard. The owner, the master of much, much wealth, gave to his servant some of his wealth to take charge of while he was gone on a journey. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to the third he gave one. And he gave each according to his ability. Now a little side note. A talent was worth a lot of money. We've seen a denarius before in the gospel, we've heard that word. But a talent was actually worth a lot, lot more. And there would be bronze, there would be silver talents, there would be gold talents. There were different types. And it's likely that a silver talent back in those days was worth 15 to 20 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. So the owner goes off, then returns. And he approaches his three servants. And the one who had was given five talents, he made an investment, making five more, doubling it. And he presented it to the master. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And the servant, given two-talent, likewise doubles his investment, gives it to the master. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But the servant, given one, he buried it and then returned it to the owner, saying, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. Now, when we read this slowly, two things immediately catch our attention. First, he just insulted the master. He says that he harvests where he does not plant and gathers where he does not scatter. He just called him a thief. He said, That which is not yours, you go and take. You steal what is not yours to have. But then, secondly, something more striking, something more profound. He says, I knew you were a demanding person, so out of fear I went off and buried your talent in the ground. He feared the owner. He feared the master. Now let's remember, we're hearing a parable. This means that we're encountering a story that's giving, being used to describe a much more deeper point, has deeper significance. And I've said it over and over and over again. When there's a parable, there's always a twist. And that's where the meaning lies. But first, what's being described here? What is a parable representing? First, the master represents Jesus, represents Christ. The servants represent us. The talents represent the treasures, the gifts entrusted to us by God, entrusted to us by Jesus And the generosity of the master, the generosity of Christ, wow, it's tremendous. Think in terms of the parable. Jesus likened himself to this master, this generous owner. And let's think about this for a second. Let's just say that one year's wage is worth $25,000. That means he gave to the person with five talents almost $2 million to make an investment with. And to the person that he gave one talent to, he gave approximately $500,000 to make an investment with. This is truly a generous owner and master. Christ is truly a generous Lord. He lapses grace upon grace. He freely gives of his love, of his mercy. He entrusts with us his treasures, the gift of faith, the sacraments, the Eucharist, the Word of God, a life of grace. So where's the unexpected element? Well, why would a servant fear a master who is so generous? I mean, think about this. People who are angry, who are mean, who instill fear into people, they're never generous people. They're stingy, they're greedy, and they're self-seeking. But not our Lord. Not our Master. He is generous. He entrusts to us a lot of wealth. So we like the servant with one talent. How do we view the Master? What is our image of God? Because a servant's understanding, his knowledge of the master, is distorted. He doesn't really know who his master is. He doesn't see his generosity, his goodness. He thinks him to be someone like just a dictator. Now, thanks be to God, we don't have this problem in our world, in our culture, even within Christianity, or maybe within our own hearts. The notion that God is just someone to be feared. Don't upset him, don't do him wrong. He'll smite you, he'll strike you down, he'll make your life miserable. How often so many are afraid of God. Now not in that biblical sense of fear of the Lord, right, which means that we're in awe of God, but a fear of God because we think he's a tyrant, a dictator who only gives rules and laws, who's not for equality, who only condemns and punishes. He only seeks to make us miserable creatures. You see, our view of God is distorted firstly because of sin. Right? Think about the first fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3. Right? They fall, and then what happens? They become afraid of God. What do they do? They go and hide. They hide from God because their understanding of God is not as a generous father who wants to give them everything, who gave them life, who gave them dominion over all the world. But their idea of God after they sin is altered. They think of him as a tyrant, as someone who's out to get them, to make their life miserable, who wants to hold good things from them, as someone who they should be afraid of. That's how the third servant thinks of his master. He's fearful. He's anxious. And he's irrationally depicting the master as selfish, and as a thief. See, the servant's fear and anxiety caused him to refrain from giving himself totally to the task entrusted to him. As the parable states, he became slothful, lazy in his efforts to serve. And because he did not know the truth of his master, because he did not see his master as someone generous, it caused him to cease to serve him. He held back from making a risk. He held back from risking an investment and just buried it. He buried it in the hole of fear and anxiety. Is that not the case today, my brothers and sisters? Men and women fall away from their faith. Or maybe they strive for holiness, but they they hold something back because they do not fully invest themselves into a life of faith and discipleship. Why? Because our image of God has been altered. We do not know him as he reveals himself, as that loving and merciful father who desires to give his very self, literally gives him very self upon this altar. Mm-hmm. But why don't we know him as he should be known? I said before, sin, of course, distorts our image, but there are many reasons, but I'd like to highlight one main reason our brothers and sisters, that's because there's a crisis in the family. The family is under attack. And whether it be there are no fathers or no mothers, whether it be absent parents, whether it be parents and families that do not introduce their children to God, whether they don't know God because their their mom and dad doesn't give themselves totally to them, trust them. You see, because all throughout the Old Testament and through the Scriptures, the greatest image that God used to reveal himself is as a mother and as a father. So in the first reading today from the book of Proverbs, we have characteristics of a husband and wife that are exalted and praised. The first reading says, the husband should entrust his heart to his wife and praise her in the midst of others. Husbands, Fathers, we need you to step up. We need you to show to your wives true and authentic love. We need you to entrust your heart to her, to become vulnerable to her. See, the outside world, they're gonna call you weak for doing that, but Christ wasn't weak when he did that on the cross for his bride, the church. We entrusted his heart to her. Men, we need you to honor and cherish women not seeing them as objects to be lusted after, but people to be loved. If men young and old, if husbands and fathers cherished their wives, entrusted their heart to them, praised them in the midst of people, highlighting their gifts and their abilities, how their children, how the world around them would see them as imitating Christ who entrusted his heart to the church and would see Christ with the image of someone who gives his life for us to see their Savior, their Lord their Creator as someone who is full of love and mercy, who desires their happiness who trusts them with gifts and who can be trusted wives Mothers, extend your arms and love to those in need, especially your children when they're kicking and screaming, crying at the top of their lungs. Be an instrument of good to your husband and your children, even in the midst of evil. Women, we need you to especially be instruments showing to us what it means to cherish life, to show respect for life from the womb to the tomb. We need women who show loving care and concern, compassion to their neighbor, to their husbands and to their children. And women, we don't need people who gossip because that's just, that's just another form of disrespecting the human dignity of a person. when you just speak well of others. Build each other up. Build your husband up. Build your children up. Would that if, men, if women, young and old, showed compassion, reached their hands to the needy, reached their hands to their husbands when he felt down, reached their hands out to their children when they were having a bad day, showing love to them. How the image of God would be changed. How we would see God as slow to anger, but quick to compassion, who's patient with us, who showed compassion to us even when we're weak. See, the image of God, our brothers and sisters, begins in the family. It begins by having great mothers and fathers, great grandfathers and great grandmothers who show love and compassion, slow to anger, who entrust their hearts to one another, who give themselves away to one another to be an image that that's what God does for us. Because God entrusts us, my brothers and sisters, with a lot of wealth. He does so because He trusts us. And He calls that we trust Him. And so may we this day, may we allow ourselves to come to know who God is. He's a loving and merciful God. And in doing so, when we see Him as He is, may we fully give ourselves to Him, trusting Him, that in doing so, we will indeed share in the Master's joy. God bless you.